Henry, thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Thank you, Michelle. I'm excited to be talking with you today. So the first openly gay, openly Texan, and openly Latino finance <laughs> chairman of the Democratic National Committee, uh, you're a super gay. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I have at least uh, two strikes against me in most circles, but um, it's been uh, an honor to be elected as an officer of the DNC, and I never take that for granted. Well, because you have many firsts, it's always good to put it in the record and the history books in, you know, finding out a little bit more, getting to know more of our leaders in the LGBTQ community. And so I think we should go with the tradition of sharing a coming out story here on the program. Well, you know, like many people of my generation, I realized that I was gay at um, a very young age. Uh, I was raised in a family that uh, were civil rights activists. So I discovered that it actually was more important to me than it was to either one of my parents who said to me, um, Mijo, there's nothing that you could ever do that would make us less proud of who you are. And so maybe I put more pressure on myself uh, to be in the closet than my family ever did when I came out. Uh, my mom said, oh, I knew you were gay when you walked out of Funny Girl Singing. My father uh, hugged me and kissed me. My sisters told me that they always knew and the feeling around my family was one of acceptance and love. So I'm one of the people who's really um, lucky um, that my family uh, was completely accepting of who I was. It was me who put so much pressure on myself about society. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That I, I can absolutely relate to. And uh, But thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, you know... Coming on the program, I think a lot there are a lot of issues, a lot of topics that I could talk to you with. I think first, the first thing that's on my mind is really, uh, you know, Brett Kavanaugh and this appointment that the president could possibly make to the Supreme Court justice um, seat that's open, uh, and and you know, many people not really knowing what the dangerous impact could be. And since you represent so much of our community. What can you say, or what are your thoughts about this possible appointment? You know, Michelle, I live uh, down the street from the Supreme Court of the United States, from that building, and I walk by it uh, many times, and I stare at that building, and I look at the words over the front door of that building, and it says, Equal Justice Under Law. And... We as a people, not just the LGBTQ community, but as the American people are in danger of that cornerstone of the building being wiped away mm -hmm. because this president and his uh, nominee have made no secret of the fact that they don't believe in equal justice or equal protection. And I don't think it's any secret that this Supreme Court nomination 
maybe is the most important uh, decision that our government will make during our lifetimes. We are in danger of losing numerous protections uh, for our community, uh, the community of women in the United States uh, are in the same position. I am a person who comes from the border between the United States and Mexico. This administration has made no, um, no bones about uh, placing our families under attack. And so I think that this is a very dangerous time for us and we need to not forget how dangerous this moment is and we need to rise up and make our voices heard this is not i think many people think that this is a done deal i talk to people around the country and they believe well you know it's going to happen anyway what can we do and the answer is that there's a lot that we can do um, we need to continue to call our representatives we need to make the senators in this country realize um who we are and that we have a voice and we need to fight this nomination. And in fighting the nomination, Michelle, I think we need to ask for complete and total transparency of Judge Kavanaugh's record. Mm -hmm. you know, this is an administration that is not transparent and they don't bother, they don't want us to look at everything that not just the Supreme Court nominee, but their appointees and their nominees have in their background. And that's not something we should take lightly or settle for. Absolutely. I, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you know, going back to what you said and the point of, you know, some people think that it's practically a shoe in but there there are some things that we can do. Some folks are talking about the fact that we might be able to make enough noise to change the minds of certain conservative or Republican elected leaders like Susan Collins. Uh, what are your thoughts? Absolutely. I mean, we shouldn't give up on the legislative process. I think that we've done that so many times over the course of the last several years, forgetting what a major part of a constituency or a political party we are. I come from a perspective that no political party should take us for granted. They need to earn our vote. How many gay people live in the states where um, we elect Republican Congress people and Republican senators? I'm a, I'm a, I still vote in Texas. I haven't given up on convincing the elected leaders in Texas that what is important to me and to my family is important to the state of Texas and ultimately to the United States of America. So no, we should not be quiet. We should talk to both Democrats and Republicans. We need to convince people that what is in our best interest is in the best interest of the United States. That's why it, uh, that's why the LGBTQ movement has achieved what they've achieved at this point, because uh, we touch everyone. We're in everyone's family. People know us. They, when they get to know us, right? They realize that we're just like them, right? We are them. And right. so I, I think um, that we need to redouble our efforts on this nomination and send a very strong 
message to the people that are in power that uh, we are important to them as well. Mm-hmm. And to bring that home to the LGBTQ community specifically, I mean, we've talked about this at the very beginning that it, you know, it, I mean, I, I, actually, when Gorsuch, Neil, Judge Neil Gorsuch, uh, and the conversation and topic of him being appointed or nominated to the Supreme Court justice, that a lot of people were concerned that, you know, is it possible for the Supreme Court to reverse its decision on marriage equality? That's where our mind was going. A lot of our leaders in the LGBTQ community had said that it's not possible and it would take, you know, very long. But with Brett Kavanaugh, if he were to be seated, you know, what are some dangers uh, do you think is possible that he could have an impact on the LGBTQ community? My guess is, you know, this ongoing attack on LGBTQ families, the transgender community. But what do you think? Well, I want to go back to the coming out story because I don't want people to think that it was easy for me to come out. I don't want people, I want people to understand how difficult it is in today's world. I want to speak to young people, right? Not just millennials, but even people who are younger than millennials and, and, and talk to them about how much is at stake. You know, we got to a moment in our movement where we thought, okay, we achieved marriage equality. I was lucky. I stood on the steps of that Supreme Court on the day that marriage equality um, came down from the Supreme Court of our country. A year later, I was standing on a beach um, pledging my commitment to my partner, Kyle Ferrari. Shortly after that, Kyle and I were married by former Vice President of the United States, Joseph Biden. I know how long it took and how much sacrifice it took to achieve that milestone. But that is not the only milestone in equality. So what is at stake? Well, business discrimination. I think this whole idea of religious liberty is is, uh, bringing together um, religion and government once again so that uh, business has the ability to refuse uh, service to LGBTQ people. Um, For those of us who hope to adopt, you know, there are states across this country that continue to discriminate against uh, potential parents from the LGBTQ community. Um, Transgender military service, this president has gone on record as saying he will exclude transgender people from service in the military, even though the senior members of the branches of the military have told him that that's wrong, that there are federal employees who understand that the Civil Rights Act protects them, but they're, but they're concerned, for example, that the LGBTQ workers' rights are at risk. There are numerous cases of discrimination in health care, So, you know, I think we forget, and maybe in today's news cycle where we get um, a message every minute on our phones, the president of the United States uses that to his advantage uh, to say one thing and do another and to systematically dismantle not only the victories of the past, but to get us to forget how much we still have to work for 
in order to achieve equal justice under law. So nobody should forget um, that we are not an equal people, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that we still have a lot to achieve, and we need to stand up for ourselves. There was a moment when I thought even that this administration would try and remove one of the very few historic monuments that we have to the LGBT community from the National Historic Monuments um, list, Stonewall Inn. Right. And so this is is not, this is a president um, who um, is not our friend, and we cannot forget that. Right. Absolutely. Thank you so much for those thoughts. Well, in the second half of our interview, I want to turn our attention to November, the November elections. I mean, you know, in the last few months or or at least the first half of this year, we're seeing some excitement with uh, uh, more progressive elected people uh, being elected in their local government, statewide uh, elections, things like that. So I feel like the momentum is there. But for someone like yourself who started uh, an entire organization dedicated to increasing, you know, um, Latinx or Latin LGBTQ elected leaders, let's talk about the November elections and kind of where your optimism lies. Well, I think we've made progress. But I said before that nobody should take us for granted. I think the first, um, the beginning of that is that we ourselves need to be inspired to run for office. We need to be inspired to support people who support us uh, for office. We need to raise money. We need to organize efforts. We need to give voice to people who um, have never had a voice to use before. And, and, and our responsibility is greater, I think, because not only do we have to do it ourselves, but then we have to reach out and bring other people with us. So, I, you know, I look at people like Don Adams, who's the first lesbian state elected official in Virginia and uh we have the first openly gay governor, openly bisexual governor of a state in the United States now, and we have a member of the United States Senate who we're fighting very hard uh, to protect, our Senator Tammy Baldwin, and we have uh, Danica Rome, who's the first transgender uh, state elected official in Virginia, and all of them are important because you can't be what you can't see, but the percentage of representation in government at every level, local, state, and federal, is not sufficient enough. So, you know, I think this is an important election for a couple of different reasons. We need to say um, to everyone who is in office right now that we vote and that we're not going to forget if they vote against uh, what is important to us as Americans. And we also need uh, to vote to elect more people like ourselves uh, to positions of power in um, at every level of government. And, and 
And I think if we continue to do that, that in a few years, um, maybe we'll see the first openly LGBTQ president or vice president of the United States. You know, my dad used to say to me that uh, the movement of a people begins with the steps of just one person. Mm. And I think we're making progress as a movement, but we cannot forget that we have a lot of progress to achieve and we ourselves need to be involved. We need ourselves to be our own voice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I wanted to ask you about the Latino vote, and that's just because of the fact that you know you started Latino Victory with Eva Longoria, and um, uh, that's awesome. That's amazing. Uh, but you know, it's just doing some reading, and, and it's hard to tell these days in terms of the, the real truth. I mean, the alt-right media is going to say that the Latino vote you know, doesn't come near the impact of actual uh, white males who could vote somebody in like Donald Trump. Uh, but, you know, electing progressive Latino candidates, I think the Latino vote, I mean, let's not underestimate the power of that. Well, I think we're at uh, not only a moment in our country's history where we need to remember that we're under attack, particularly the Latino community. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I am working right now um, on migrant issues associated with families that have been separated from each other, many of whom, you know, may never find their way back Mm -hmm. to each other. That is an issue of humanity um, that is both political and um, goes beyond political and borders on pure evil. So when you come from that perspective, then you need to remember that your people are under attack. But at the same time, I think you need to recognize that you have an opportunity to create institutional change. Mm-hmm. And um, is no question that the Latino community of The United States is the fastest growing demographic group in the country, not people who are arriving here as immigrants, but young people who are born here or who were born here. So you ask yourself, what's in the best interest of the of the country? Isn't it in the best interest of the country to make sure that that community as Americans have um, all of the opportunities of the American dream, absolutely. And so then it becomes important for us to make sure um, that Latinos and Latinas in this country are represented. And in order to be represented, they need training and we need to vote and we need to, to remember Um, that the percentages of representation are not high enough. So, you know, I'm very proud, and I know Eva is too, that over the course of the last several years, we've created a project that works on developing the next generation of leadership that trains people, that encourages people to use their voice, um, that raises money um, to encourage those dreams that we've elected, which I think was really ridiculous, but okay, we've not, we didn't until just two years ago have uh, Latina in the United States Senate. Right now, Catherine Cortez Masto is the U.S. Senator from Nevada in my home state of Texas. 
there has never been a Latina elected to Congress. So maybe people will still be surprised um, by the underrepresentation. But this year is a critical, important, and yes, optimistic year for people to make their voices heard and to use them to elect people who think about what is in the best interest of the country. And when you think about what is in the best interest of the country, then you typically vote for inclusion. I do not believe that hate will win. I don't believe it. Yeah, yeah. I'm at the place where, I mean, gosh, I wake up every day looking at or looking for headlines. And I wish one of the headlines was, you know, our president has been indicted. Indicted. Uh, I, I guess I shouldn't say that on the show. That's so disrespectful. But I mean, you know, if the allegations are true, it is what it is. And uh, anyway, I have one last question for you. And it, it's an exciting time. You know, in a few weeks here, the Democratic National Committee will convene um, in uh, in Chicago. And so, you know, what are just some things that you hope for for this big meeting that's happening? In. The change at the DNC, the new DNC, a DNC that is not just about electing a president of the United States, but that inspires innovation and change and integration with strong state parties that are concerned about electing school board members and state legislators and Congress people who reflect the diversity of this country, more transparency in the processes of the DNC, um, a DNC that is well-funded, maybe not as well-funded by as the RNC, which has millions and millions and millions of dollars of dark money flowing into it, but a well-funded DNC that... Um, doesn't take money from um, people whose interests are um, not aligned with ours, but who relies increasingly on small dollar donations across the country from everyday citizens. Those are the issues that have been in front of the DNC over the course of the last two years. That is the kind of DNC that we've worked hard to design. It is a DNC that is populated with smart thought leaders, many of them who are young and committed to the work of the party because they realize that in order to have a country that really is a country of equal justice under law, you need to have a sustainable party mechanism that works between the four-year cycle of the presidential elections to make sure that people's rights are protected. So I'm looking forward to continuing those conversations with the members of the Democratic National Committee, and I'm very proud of the work that we've done over the course of the last two years in particular, and I look forward to continuing that. Michelle, um, I want to go back and talk about one issue that you brought up sure. um, because I think there is a cultural issue for the LGBT community that in particular young people shouldn't forget. Um, I was in New York the other day and I had the great honor and privilege of attending a performance of Angels in America, which in my opinion is 
one of the great works of art and theater um, in the American uh, in American history, and and it is in some ways the story of a very dangerous man by the name of Roy Cohn, who mm-hmm. was a mentor of the president of the United States, who would say one thing, be one way, and then attack the very people who represented a part of who he was. They would attack, um, use religious liberty, use racial purity in order to attack the American principles. And I think that we can't forget um, at this moment in the United States history, who we are dealing with and the tactics that people will use to discriminate against the LGBT community. So I would leave uh, your listeners with this message. We have made a great deal of progress. We cannot forget the moment and the types of people that we are dealing with if we don't forget who has died Mm. in order to bring us to this moment, the light will shine upon us and we will win. We will win. We need to vote and we will win. Such great words. And thank you so much for that reminder. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And doing a lot of these interviews, um, it's not very difficult at all. In fact, it's natural and organic to really think about those who came before us and that this fight, you know, has always been ongoing. And like the words of the great Ken- Kate Kendall, who led the National Center for Lesbian Rights, I mean, democracy is a lifelong fight. It never ends. Uh, Henry, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program, and thank you so much for your service. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate what this program does. Don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show will continue right after this. For more information, you can visit Democrats.org. And that's he's a Henry R. Munoz III, the first openly gay, openly Texan, and openly Latino finance chairman of the Democratic National Committee. We'll be right back. <laughs> 